I'm, I'm trying, Rick. I don't know what to do. Just start talking, doing my thing. They'll sit down. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Happy, uh, happy Father's Day, all of the uh, dads out there. Thank you for investing part of your weekend here. Uh, it's great to be able to worship together today as we strive to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. Uh, we do that as we take uh, the life of Jesus as our pattern for living, and we prioritize being together. We hear and respond to the Word of God, and we strive to be a tangible presence of grace in our communities and in our world. Uh, on this Father's Day, we are continuing in our series, The Commands of Jesus. Uh, people who count these things and love to count things in the Bible have told us that there's uh, around 50 different commands that Jesus gave us during his ministry, and so uh, we need to look at, at some of those. Last week, we looked at uh, Jesus' command to forgive, and uh, as many of you uh, gave me feedback throughout the week, uh, I appreciate the fact that you understood that it's something that's not always easy to navigate through, uh, and I'm also thankful for those of you who were asking the questions of what you need to do next. How do we take that step? How do we begin the process of forgiving? And so uh, it's not something that we just solved last week, as we talked about, but it's something that we continue to work through and something we continue to struggle with. And with God's help, we move toward forgiveness uh, as we've been forgiven. So uh, one of the things that's interesting about forgiveness is, is while it's hard, I've yet to talk to anyone who's come to me to say, you know what, I wish I hadn't forgiven that person, right? Because... We understand intellectually that it's not only a benefit for uh, the other person potentially, but it's really a benefit for us that we let that go and we no longer allow that person to have control over us. Forgiveness is good to receive. Forgiveness is also good to give. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' command when he tells us to love. And to do that, I invite you to grab your Bible and open it up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a blue Bible somewhere uh, there in front of you, and Matthew 22 will be on or around page 699. You can also open it in your, your Bible app, go through the PCC app, and you can find such things there as well. I encourage you to put the text in your hands so that you can follow along. I also invite you to grab uh, your sermon notes in case something uh, strikes you and you want to write that down as we go through this this morning. Uh, as I stated last week, it's really interesting when it comes to the command of Jesus, because when we look at the Great Commission, as we call it, Jesus told us to obey everything that he has commanded us, right? So it'd be wise for us to know what those commands are, especially since one of the ways we show our love to Jesus is by obeying his commands, which is why it's so important that we see Jesus as not just our Savior, but also our Lord. John 14 tells us that. We can know a lot, we can believe a lot, we can say a lot, but we are called to apply those things to our life. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. James says, I will show you my faith by what I do. As we discussed a little bit last week, it's interesting that you can know all the commands of Jesus in your life, but if they do not impact your heart or your soul, your life, then what it shows is that they're not really that important to us and they don't really matter to us, which is why one of the reasons each week we remind ourselves that, that part of our challenge is to take that next step in our faith, our, that next step in our relationship with God, regardless of where you are, to take that next step as you grow in your life and your faith with him. And that's what we, as a body of believers, we are striving to do. And we're not always gonna get it right. We're not gonna get it perfect. And yet through his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness in our life, 
we can continue to strive to discover and experience his life-changing love. And it's that love that we're going to focus on here today. So let's jump into the text, Matthew, uh, Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be beginning in verse 34. You can follow along. It'll be on the screen in front of you as well. It says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength, or all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, a good place to begin is to provide just a little bit of context, right, to hopefully help this make a little bit more sense. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious uh, leaders of the day. They were leading the, the Jewish people. Uh, the way to keep them separate in your mind is to remember that the Pharisees were focused on the law, and they wanted to be fair, you see, right? Got that? And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection or life after death. They were sad, you see, because they had nothing to look forward to, all right? Got that? Just kind of helps you keep those straight in your, in your mind. So while these two groups, they really didn't like each other, right? But they really both didn't like Jesus. So they found themselves on the same side looking at Jesus, uh, trying to discredit him. And they attempted to do this by asking controversial and loaded questions. And I'm really glad that's something that no longer happens in our society and world today, right? I mean, you think about some of those loaded in questions that, that we hear today, and we're not going to get into those because we don't have that kind of bandwidth today, right? But, but in the text, if you look back, they were asking Jesus some, some politically charged questions of the day. The Pharisees, they asked Jesus, hey, is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? Should we do that? And if Jesus were to say yes, then he would be seen as supporting Rome. If Jesus were to say no, then he would be a rebel, and Rome would be all over him, right? Then the Sadducees asked this outlandish uh, scenario of a woman who'd been married seven times to seven different brothers here on earth, and at the resurrection, whose wife would she be? Who would be her husband? They didn't even believe in the resurrection. They're just trying to figure out a way to, to trap Jesus. And each time Jesus answered them, the text tells us the people were amazed and astonished at what Jesus said. So here they try again. And this time they ask, hey, Jesus, of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament scripture, which one is the greatest? Which one is the most important? Which one is the heaviest? You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, along with the teachers of the law and, and along with the scribes as well, they would uh, be, in, you know, gather together and they would debate which of God's laws that were really the important ones, Right? Which ones did God really take seriously? Which were the most important, the, the heaviest, the ones that we really need to follow? And which ones God's like, eh, it's kind of a minor command. Don't worry about that one, right? Because what they were trying to do was, was to say, okay, I need to, to live my life in such a way that I don't break any of these commands. And in doing that, then I am doing what I'm supposed to do. And I am holy and I am upright, right? I am righteous. That's what the Pharisees were, were trying to do. Jesus, he, he looks at them and he says, you know what, I'm going to answer your question. And he does that by quoting two different texts from the, the scriptures that the Jewish people would have been intimately familiar with. Uh, the first one he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. This is known as the Shema 
That's what it was called, just the, the Shema. And this is a prayer that the Jewish people would have prayed in the morning and in the evening for thousands of years. It, it was, at minimum, a, a twice-a-day reminder to listen to God and to love God, and that's what the Jewish people were reminded of. And, and what's interesting is if you look closely at the text from Deuteronomy and the text from Matthew, you will notice that Deuteronomy says strength, and Matthew, uh, as he quotes Jesus, that Jesus says mind. And just to make things a little more interesting, in the parallel account uh, in, in the, of the event in Mark chapter 12, uh, Mark's gospel records both mind and strength. So what's the story? Because we look at that and, and that's different. What, what's he trying to say? Well, I, I could spend the next you know, 15, 20 minutes sharing with you the, my word studies, right, and how we looked at all of those words and, and how we looked at what's similar and what's different and what each word means and how we break all that down and could really just overwhelm you with a lot of information that you'd walk away going, eh, Okay right? Or we could take a step back and say, you know what, what's the point? The point is that, that the reason these words are different is because there's one way to translate it in the Hebrew and another way in the Greek. And when the people translated it, they just, they did the best they could. But the point's not to get hung up on the details, but to realize that the ancient Hebrews, they didn't separate humans like we do, right? They, were, they saw it as one person, as one being, as a part of one whole, not as a lots of different parts. The words heart, soul, mind, strength, they all represent the entire being, the life and the body of the individual. It was a call to use their muchness as it's described. All that they are and every possibility, every opportunity and all of their capacity available to them in order to honor and to love God. And this is the type of concern, this is the type of affection that's shown by one person to another. That's, that's what this is all about, this idea of love. In the, in the Hebrew text, it's the word ahava. And in the Greek, it's the term agape. And these words describe this broad type of love that God has for us. It's the love that's given not because it is, it is deserved or because it is earned, but because it simply originates from the character of God. It's the type of love that, that God desires us to experience. It's the type of love that he wants in us and to flow through us to other people, which is really interesting, uh, at, at least to me, is, is this thing about love. Uh, love, as the band Journey would say, is, is more than a feeling, right? Got it? Okay, good. It's an action. Uh, this love is, is, is not just something that we have. It's something we do. It's, it's something we act upon. It, it's loving is what love chooses to do, if that makes sense. Love results in action, which is why it's not surprising that Jesus also quotes from Leviticus 19.18 when he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is connecting these two thoughts, these two commands, so that the religious leaders, those listening at the time, and even us here today, that we would begin to understand that you cannot really have one without the other. You cannot love God unless you love others. And if you're not loving others, then you can't really love God. It's this idea that if we're not loving our neighbor as ourself, then we do not actually love God. We just say we do. Now, I want you to consider the implications of that for just a moment. If we're not loving our neighbor as ourself, then we do not actually love God. We just say we do. How does that strike you? Because in other words, the way we display 
the way we show, the way we demonstrate our love for God is the way we treat people around us. And I would suggest that has huge implications for each and every one of us. So, so let's say we get it, all right? Let's, everybody gets the benefit of the doubt that we're, we're doing this, right? We, we get it. We, we take that step in our faith and we grow and we grow in our love. What happens when we love the way that we are commanded to love? Well, uh, an argument could be made that there are lots of good things that could happen if, if we were to actually do that, right? If, we were, if we're living that way. But this morning, I, I just want to share two. I want to suggest two things that could potentially happen as we love that way, if we allow the love of God to flow through us and, and in us, if we are truly loving our neighbor as ourselves, first, we are an example to the world. I think that's one of the biggest things that could happen. Because you don't have to take a look very far in our society to see all the hate that's out there, right? People are mean-spirited. We have groups marching in opposition against one another. There's anger, there's divisiveness flowing through the radio, through the TV. Uh, leaders are using sound bites to stir up dissensions, uh, leveraging sensitive and emotionally charged issues to demonize people, to make sure that, that they are seen as, as the best and other people are undermined. And we, we want to demonize anyone who thinks differently than we do. That's what we see. And it brings to mind 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Ouch, Right? There's lots of things that we could jump into, but the key phrases that, that relate to love as we're talking about today is uh, these phrases, without love, not lovers of good, not lovers of God. But as believers, we're called to be different, to live in such a way that is different than the world lives and loves Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The command from Jesus certainly is not new, but what is new is to the extent at which Jesus is saying that we are to display it. Jesus showed this type of love that we are to have. As believers, we are to be like Jesus, to love as he loved. It's a sacrificial love. It's not to take advantage of other people, but to love other people first, to love other people well. And if we're loving this way, people will know that we are his disciples because of the way we treat one another. It's something that we don't just do in the short term. It's something that we are called to continually do, to continually love people and to sacrifice for them. Ephesians chapter five, Paul tells husbands to have this type of love uh, when he says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. Husbands, we are called to be sacrificial in our love for our wife. And as we do that, and as we love with the type of love that God has called us to love, the world will take notice. We need to be an example to the world. Second, when we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, it gives us the opportunity to put our faith into practice. Paul writes this in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
what Paul's talking about is, hey, you need to realize it's not where you came from. It's not your heritage. It's not your background. It's not those things. What matters is your faith and how you express your faith in the way you love. Your love proves that your faith is alive because without love, your faith is dead. James says it clearly when he wrote, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. As we love, we're giving evidence of our faith. And if we do not love, there's no evidence of faith. So plainly stated, when love is absent, our faith is dead. So I think the obvious question becomes, how is your faith? And one of the key indicators of that is, how do you love? Not easy, right? Because as I tell you, if it was easy, you would already be doing it, and I'd be wasting my breath. John wrote this in, in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. When you put all this together, you discover that God's love, as we love God, if we are to love God, we are to love others. And as we do that, we are essentially fulfilling all of God's teachings. That's, that's what Jesus was saying. That's why he could say without hesitation that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. He says this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He, and then he says, and all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And I would think that we could all agree that in, if we're going to do that, enable, if we're going to be able to achieve those kinds of results, then it would have a great impact on our world and our faith would be growing because we would be putting that into practice each and every moment of each and every day. These would be great, Right? But I think the obvious question then becomes, how do we do that? How do we love like that? Well, that's where it gets really hard, right? Because how do we practically do that? If you've been around here very long, you know me well enough to know that I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I have all the answers, right? You also know that that's not going to, to stop me from making some suggestions too, right? Because as I learn and as I'm challenged and as I'm growing, I try to pass those things on so that we can learn and grow and be challenged together. I would suggest that one of the first things we need to do is to come to an understanding that none of us have has been able to love God the way he deserves to be loved. We just, we just haven't. And that should drive us to our knees that should cause us to humbly thank God for his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. And maybe it is praying that God would break our hearts in order to remind us and to show us how much we truly do need him. And we begin loving him and loving him well. And once we come to that realization, we can begin to see how his love can impact every relationship that we have. We begin to see what our relationship needs in order for us to love the way God has commanded us to love. And I wanna share a couple of things that, that I believe each relationship needs. And these are things you know, but maybe it's time to be reminded of them. First, every relationship needs time. Quality time and quantity time. 
If we truly want our relationships to deepen and to grow and to reflect the way that God loves us and to love others, it's going to take quality time and it's going to take quantity time. Um, one of the things that, that we try to do as a family is share meals together. It's something that, that we try to make a point to do as often as we can. Uh, there's something about uh, fixing a meal together. Well, you know, Michelle does most of it. We stand around and, you know, take her orders and do what we're told to do, right? But there's something about all being in the room together, doing that, fixing that together, being seated around a table together, having an actual conversation about life and, and about things that grows relationships. It's an opportunity for us to talk about what happened during the day, what went well, what frustrated you, what's going on the rest of the day, what's the week, what's the plan for the night, what is something that struck you as interesting, what's an idea you want to share, uh, all those types of things. And then it's just taking a few moments and cleaning up the kitchen together and everybody kind of has their assigned roles and we always laugh when someone's gone, well, who's gonna do that because no one else is qualified to wipe off the table when Kale's gone, right? And that's just what he does. <laughs> it's time together. It's a simple thing together because we're all gonna eat, right? So let's strive to spend time together as we do that. And when we do that, we're nourishing not only our body, but we're nourishing our relationships so that they can grow. Parents, I just wanna remind you that your children need you. They need you to invest time in them. They really don't need another activity or another event. They need you and your time. They need you to invest in them and not just driving them from one event to the other. And, and you've heard me say before that sometimes some of the best conversations you can have with your kids is when you're staring through the windshield and you can talk about things where you don't have to make eye contact because it's just easier, right? But it's more than that. It's investing in them. It's investing in them as a person and as their potential for life to speak God's love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness into their hearts and into their minds to pray with them, to pray for them to set an example to them of what it means to follow Jesus and to love him and to love him well. In the same veins, husband, it's, it's so important that you invest time with your wife. And transparency time, I've been really, really bad at this lately. Really bad. I have not invested enough quantity or quality time with Michelle. And yet, if relationships are going to grow, they're gonna deepen, it takes time. And it's true with with every relationship we have, including our relationship with God. If it's going to grow, it's gonna take time. There has to be time invested, much more than just an hour or so on a Sunday morning. We need to invest in our relationship with God. Not only does there need to be quality and quantity time, but during those times there needs to be communication. And again, you know this, right? This is not new. You're not, wow, I'd never thought about that before. But we need to be reminded to communicate. Uh, for Michelle and I, uh, there are times I feel like we do this really well, and then at times, not so much, right? The, the running joke becomes, you never tell me anything, right? Anybody else ever do that in your household? Okay, three of you. Okay, more of you. You just forgot that you were told that, no, it doesn't matter. So um, we've been through one of those uh, not-so-great communication seasons. Uh, life has been extra busy with, with graduations and family and preparing for the fall and, and uh, getting our kids ready for college and what we're doing this summer and getting ready for CIY and all of these activities and all of these things. And, and the ironic thing is, is the busier you get, what do you need more of? You need more time and you need more communication. And yet, because of the busyness of life, it usually does the opposite, right? We get busy and we fail to invest time and we fail to communicate. And when communication is not what it should be, relationships suffer. 
The same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. We need to communicate with him. We need to read his word, to meditate on his word, to discover his love for us in the pages of it and how he's speaking to us. And we need to talk to God. It's commonly referred to as prayer. And we share with him not only our desires, but we also praise him for who he is and we ask him to shape and to mold our lives and our hearts and our minds. And then as we bring things before him, it's, it's being open and, and asking God to give us his direction and his leading and impact our lives. In all of our relationships, if we want them to grow, then we need to show love. We need to love the way God has called us to love. We need to communicate. We need to invest quality and quantity time. And there's so much more that could be said, but here's what all of it boils down to. In all of our attempts to love other people, to love people well, all of them are going to fall short of what they could be if we do not have God's love in our life. If we don't have a relationship with him, then we are not able to reach the full potential of our love. And yes, we will still be able to love. People who have no relationship with God understand what it means to love, but not to love in the way that they really are capable of loving to the fullest extent, to the fullest potential. Ephesians chapter three says, I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is where loving others truly begins. It is when we realize that we are loved that we can love. You see, we sing about his love, right? We did this morning. We talk about it. We we read about it. But how do we grasp it in our life? We don't deserve it, as we sang this morning, but God gives us his love anyway. He gives us life. We can only truly love if we are experiencing the love of God in us, if we're filled with his love in our life. Otherwise, what happens is we become even more needy than we already are, right? And when we become needy, we begin to seek what we need from other people, and we begin Uh, being consumed by our own interests. And this drives us away from really being able to love other people because it's all about what we need. Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, writes this. He says, without the help of the Spirit, without a continual refilling of your soul's tank with the glory and the love of the Lord, such submission, I'm going to take a time out and say what he's been talking about in context of, of the book here is that he's referring to uh, submitting to one another as, uh, as to Christ. So he's talking to everyone and he's saying we all need to submit. And he says such submission to the interest of the other is virtually impossible to accomplish for any length of time without being, becoming resentful. The point is we do not have the power in and of ourselves to love the way God has called us to love to serve the way we've been called to serve, at least not in the long term. We, we may be able to do it in the short term for a while, but soon we'll discover that, that we don't uh, receive the love the way we desire to receive it, and it's hard not to get resentful. That's the way human love works. Often uh, our love is based on performance. If you love me, I will love you. If you give to me, I will give to you. It's based on performance, but that's not the agape love. That's not the ahava love that is talked about in the scripture. It's not the type of love God has for us and that he wants to flow in us and through us. 
And the only way we can truly let that love flow through us is that when we receive that love from God first. We need to truly understand that God does not love us less when we fail or more when we get it right. He loves us regardless. We need to grasp how long and how wide and how high and how deep is the love of Christ so that we can be filled to the fullest measure. And once we are filled to the fullest measure, once we've received him, then we can truly fulfill the greatest commandment of all, to love God and to love others. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning realizing that we fall short in what it truly means to love. In light of how you love us, Father, we do not love you as you deserve. We don't love others the way you have called us to love them. So Father, I pray right now that you would work in us, that you would work through us so that our hearts would break, our our minds would be softened, and you would reveal to us the love that you have. I pray that we might live life in such a way that others would see you. They would see your love flowing out of us and into this world. Father, help us to be examples of your, of your love to the world, to the people we come in contact with, so that they may see your complete and perfect love. Thank you, Father, for the love you've given us through your son, Jesus. Thank you that we truly can discover and experience his love. Because of your love, Father, we worship you and we praise you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.